0: Welcome to Change Hackers, providing daily insight and inspiration for people changing their world. I'm your host, Tony Cook, and I invite you to join me today in conversation with someone on the front line of driving change and transformation. My guest today is Venkatesh Valori. Venki is founder and chairman of both Valori Technology Accelerators and Valori Change Foundation, both of which he established following over 30 years of senior leadership experience, in technology-based multinationals such as HP, GE, and latterly Ingersoll Rand, where he was chairman until 2015. I spoke to Venki face-to-face in Delhi, India. So Venki, welcome to Change Hackers. Thank you. Thank you, Donnie. Well, again, we're here in Delhi for the BOP Global Summit which so far has been a a, a really interesting event. It's a bringing together of some fascinating people working on business solutions for for lifting the poor out of poverty. Your own story is a really interesting one. Let's start by maybe talking about um, your passions. Uh, What drives you?
1: Great. Great, Tony. And and I'll probably take a couple of minutes to give a small background which lead into my passions. So, you know, that way I can set the context up over here, Tony. Most of my career, I have been in the corporate world. The corporate world, of course, has taught me a lot. Um, I spent about 32 years in the corporate world. And it has taught issues that relate to creating capital, creating capital which can actually be redeployed for specific benefits. Now, those benefits could have been for reasons which could be predominantly either maximizing shareholder value, or they could be also benefits that could not only maximize shareholder value, but also impact the society. So there were, there were two ways that I would look at my experience in the corporate world. And over the last 30 plus years, I have primarily worked in technology companies, which range from defense to materials to aerospace to engineering. And in each of these companies, uh, the impact has been profound on my personal career. The reason I say it profound is because when I worked initially in my career, and especially in a country like India, uh, which has uh, been an emerging economy for many, many years, I have tried to position products that may or may not be required for a society like this. And that got me thinking that, The way we have been constructing markets, the way we have been delivering technologies and creating innovations may always not be relevant for the larger society, uh, except that it may be relevant only for a certain part of the society. And that's when what I would say the aha moment came in my life. And that's which led to passions in my career of saying that, yes, there is a peace in life which says that you need to create capital, you need to create value, but at the same time, whatever you create must have a large and lasting impact from a societal standpoint for the good. And that's when, uh, having led many organizations, both in India and globally, one of my fundamental passions has been whatever I do or whatever I request my team to work with me on, whatever innovations we do, must have a positive societal impact and that's where I think my passion lies today uh, when I talk about not just running an organization the way you want to do in a traditional manner but I think there should be much more beyond of what you're leaving behind and what is the value you're creating uh, whether you can impact the society in a positive manner and that's I think is very very core to me uh, when I talk about work when I talk about my life when i talk about uh, my engagement uh, in in multiple domains or areas
0: and, and in your mind do you, do you see an inevitable trade-off between impact and profitability like so many people you know investors would argue there was um or do you see the two things as as working in each other's favor
1: you know if if i uh, go back uh, maybe a decade early or maybe even you know, 15 years before And uh, that was a time when I think the world was going through this massive concept of uh, extreme capitalism. And I call it as, you know, uh, the only buzzword in those days used to be uh, maximize shareholder value. It didn't really bother about the employee or the customer, and it basically said that if an organization was to be respected, it had to be the number one in, in the markets it was operating. And when you ask what was number one, it was, you know, we must maximize the shareholder value. We must kind of give back the returns what the shareholders actually invested in. And I think over time, I realized that that necessarily doesn't have to be the real mantra of actually defining what you are and what an organization needs to be. To me, I think it's a, it's a turn of the table where I say that a customer's value must be maximized and employee values must be maximized before a shareholder's value can be maximized. I think the people, if you keep them in the center of this entire process and you actually get the best out of them as a team, as an individual, as a customer, and you're delighting them, then I think the third piece of shareholder value will automatically get maximized. But if you try to do it the other way, it doesn't. So, To your question, is there a conflict in this? If you ask me really, would I kind of go back to those days of saying, uh, let me constantly kind of keep maximizing shareholder value by, you know, continuously trying to drive productivity at the employee level and making him or her unhappy and cutting corners for the customer. uh, I clearly think that that's not the way to do it. But I think we've got to have a real good balance in terms of human values whether it's the individual and organization or the customer with whom you actually treat. Uh, and I think then the follow-through or the fallout of that is really a you know a happy shareholder. Uh, that's the way I look at
0: it. I've heard others describe it as trying to manage a business through the rear view mirror by just looking at profit.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I somehow think, I think the, the world today is at an inflection point. I think it's at a cusp. I don't believe... That you can actually trade off the the social unrest, uh, which seems to be happening more often now, whether it's you know close Wall Street or do something or the uh, the Arab Spring or something else in India or, or in other Asian communities or in China, I think the society is becoming extremely restless by saying that okay the wealth is so lopsidedly distributed that a few have everything and the majority have nothing. Uh, I think we've got to be very careful at this inflection point. And uh, yes, you've got to manage businesses. You've got to manage businesses with reasonable profits. But I think there has to be a way of ensuring that there is societal balance in terms of providing the necessary employment, engagement, life-improving standards for bulk of the society. Now, I don't think that so. one should uh, mistake this for a kind of a communism uh, model. I think capitalism still is kind of valid, but I think the extremes of capitalism are also very bad, uh, as much as the extreme of communism is very, very bad. Uh, I somehow feel that the model of our society at large, um, where the best needs to win, the innovation needs to come, Uh, with a rider which says that, yes, uh, the talented, the gifted, the creators also have an equal responsibility um, of ensuring that there is societal peace at the end. And to me, every innovation, every work I do, whether it's corporate world or in the organization which I've created now, uh, there has to be an impact on the society uh, uh, which is positive.
0: Well, everyone benefits from a stable exactly. and just society, don't exactly. they? Exactly. So, exactly, Right. So just going back to your time in, in corporate life, did you consider yourself entrepreneurial when, she, when you are in a, a corporate role? I, I, I think I've been fortunate, I, and I must confess to this, that you know there,
1: there are organizations and organizations and organizations. And there are some organizations which allow you the freedom, and there are some organizations which don't allow you the freedom. Uh, to experiment, to innovate, to do. And organizations which allow you the freedom and the uh, and the ability to create something, in my opinion, allow uh, you to ignite the entrepreneurial uh, capability if you have one. And if you have one, uh, and if the organization is allowing you to do it, then I think you should consider yourself very fortunate. And I think the good part has been the organizations have worked in, uh, whether it's been... Uh, My last one, which was Ingersoll Rand or the prior to one, which was Agilent Technologies or the earlier one, which is GE. I think all organizations and these are very, very good organizations globally have always allowed, you know, people who can take that extra mile or extra stretch to be entrepreneurial, Uh, even though there's been a a structure in these organizations. uh, But if you were capable of stretching yourself they would allow you to take risks. And I think good organizations are those which allow human potential to be harnessed Mm. effectively and allow them to take the stretch. Mm. And therefore, I consider myself to be fortunate to have been associated with some great organizations. Um, And eventually, when I stepped off from the corporate world, it was natural for me to actually create an organization by myself, which was probably my... Uh, what I would say, my entrepreneurial uh, streak, uh, which though I had practiced it in a limited way in the in the companies in the corporate world which I was working, it actually allowed me to then uh, experiment something on my own now. So, so I would say,
0: did it uh, feel like much of a leap at the time?
1: Um, yes and no. Uh, yes, because uh, when you work in an organization, you take the the trappings of the organization as granted right and uh, when you come out of the organization and you want to be an entrepreneur uh, all those trappings are not there and you know uh, uh, you better know what kind of a computer you need to buy you better know what kind of a uh, cash flow you're going to actually get uh, and when you when you're working in organizations yeah a lot of it is actually taken care of and you think you know that it's it's fine so uh, when you want to kind of become an entrepreneur and you are actually creating something of your own, I think the excitement is tremendous. Uh, but if you're used to something, you better reset yourself uh, by saying that, yes, uh, you know, this is going to be a different world and, you know, uh, you want to try something new. And I have enjoyed both sides of the coin tremendously, you know, of being in the corporate world and now being an entrepreneur. Uh, I think the experience which I got from the corporate world with... The kind of uh, knowledge which I've gained is really immensely helpful for me to become an entrepreneur now. So, what was the
0: turning point that led to that decision to leave corporate life? So, um, you you actually, when you are working in the corporate world um,
1: and you have been, let's say, reasonably successful, and when you define success by saying that yeah, you run companies or you run large teams or you run large budgets or uh, you've been global in terms of managing multinational teams, etc., if If in the corporate world, that is a yardstick of of, uh, success and, you know, you turn businesses around, what really happens is you move from one organization to the other organization. The landscape changes a little bit. The geography changes a little bit. But effectively, the, the working model is pretty much the same, right? You either are turning an organization around or you're kind of expanding the business or you're growing the business or you are... You're creating something that's been created and you are, you're doing those incremental steps going forward. You're acquiring a company, you're divesting a company, you're you know, putting cost structures around. And that's a, that's a model which you are looking at from a, from within, the, within what I would say the four uh, contours of policies, uh, controls of an organization. Now, at a point, uh, you, you kind of get there and you say, hey, listen, now I want to break free and I want to do something where I define the contours. I want to kind of build something uh, as an individual and I want to create something which I can say uh, is, is reasonably impactful. And, and that's when the, the switching point comes is when you start choosing options by saying, hey, should I take one more geography or one more landscape? Or should I actually create something on my own? And that's where my kind of questioning in my corporate, uh, you know, world or my kind of uh, what I would say the the next um, reincarnation was, why don't I actually create something on my own? You know, you've done it. You've been there. Let's kind of try something. So it was actually reinventing myself of getting back to the bottom of the of the curve and saying, okay, now let's kind of restart and relearn. Uh, and to me, I think that relearning is, is fantastic uh, because now I'm working with really young guys, young people. It's, uh, you know, you feel young and you feel uh, really charged up. So I, I really enjoy that. It's it's a relearning. You're always constantly kind of looking at new ways.
0: And you enjoy the pace of it all.
1: Exactly. I, yeah. I, it's it's uh, really yeah. exhilarating, you know.
0: Was, was the idea for the business that you now run, based on insight that you gleaned, Back in corporate life? Or where did the thinking come from that, that led you down this path?
1: Tony, I was very clear that when I actually was working in, in, in my corporate role, and specifically the last role which I worked in, where I was looking at farmers in India. And uh, the company which I was working was, uh, was Ingersoll Rand. And I was a chairman for that company. When I started kind of getting into the field and started speaking to people, I realized that the farmers in India, whatever they were producing, they were losing 30% of that produce because of the weather conditions in India. So if you produced uh, 100 tons, you would lose 30 tons. And the poor farmer would never actually get paid for the 30 tons because the 30 tons of food was lost Because of the weather conditions. And at that point of time, uh, I asked my technology team can we develop a product for the farmer who's the last mile of this value chain where he doesn't lose this produce and he gains this extra income or extra revenue by selling that additional 30 tons? It was a tall order because, uh, you know, cold chain, as they call it globally, Mm -hmm. was very well developed in the West. And uh, it was actually non-existent in India, and this was about five years ago. Um, and I, I basically pursued my technology team to think about how can we actually make an impact to that last mile farmer who is not very well-to-do. And we developed a product which was then launched in an emerging economy like India, where we took it to the farmer and we said, "Hey, listen, now you can use this product." A small truck. Uh, which had a refrigerator put on it. He could store his produce and he could transport his produce and he could actually save the 30% uh, loss of food and he could gain the 30% additional revenue. And as we kind of launched that product, the farmers came back and just said, you know what, we can't afford this product because when you actually put it on a truck, the refrigeration has got to work on a motor which actually consumes fuel and we can't afford that fuel. And that got us thinking, and I asked my team again. I said, listen, if the farmer cannot afford that fuel, there has to be a different kind of technology with which you can actually deploy the same impact to the farmer. When you actually rally the team around and you say, listen, this is a challenge, uh, they took it on as a challenge and they produced a product which actually ran on batteries and you did not need fuel anymore. And we took it back to the farmer and we said, hey, listen, now we have a product which can run on batteries. It doesn't need fuel and uh, you could see the smile on the faces of all the farmers where they found that this was a, a great solution for them now what really happened was earlier where they were getting being where they were being paid for 70% of the produce now they started getting paid for 95% of the produce so suddenly their incomes improved the families were able to afford more more farmers kind of got better and you know it started impacting the whole Uh, the whole living style of these farmers. And that's when it kind of dawned on me that it wasn't an issue about how much money you would make in terms of delivering this product. Of course, you will make money for delivering this product because you've created value in giving it. But the larger value you're creating was, you know, thousands of people who were actually uh, having access to better incomes, which then kind of drove their families into better living conditions, and and that was an uh, you know uh, it's it's difficult to kind of explain that kind of uh, advantage what you were giving to uh, to populations uh, who were kind of really I won't say below the poverty line but who were able to not uh, afford uh, something more and beyond that could make their lives more comfortable or take care of the families. And that is where I think one decision I made in the company was that every product we launch, every product we deliver must have a social impact. Because if we did that, uh, then I think you are not being an organization, uh, which is just kind of selling a product for the sake of selling, but you're being an organization which is being a responsible and an authentic organization. Once we did that, and I then decided to kind of step down after a couple of years, uh, I was clear that whatever company I set up uh, must have a social impact, must have an impact on people. And, and that is where, uh, you know, to your question, you know, how did this whole idea come up uh, of what I do? Uh, so when we set up this company, it was clear that we will build products based on technologies and the experience we've got Uh, which will actually have impact on society. So today we have a company, uh, which we started about two and a half years ago, which deals on environmental impacts, which deals on water, which deals with infrastructure of cities, crumbling cities in in India, which deals with, uh, you know, greenhouse gases. How can we actually provide that information and create technologies which would actually reduce all these ill effects on the society. I think we are very happy about what we are doing because we think, you know, it's a, it's a big impact for the uh, for the world at large. If we can even make uh, some dent in a positive manner to the world, then I think, you know, uh, we're leaving something behind, and and that's really my my kind of passion and aim today. You know,
0: so a, a common philosophy, this thread running through uh, which you've managed to express. You've had the. The, the good fortune to be able to express it both in in a corporate environment and now in a, in a smaller business environment. Right. What have you learned from going from a corporate into a smaller business environment about how to get things done?
1: Of course, there, there, there are clear advantages. When you're in the corporate world, you've got a great brand, you've got a G behind you, you've got an Ingersoll Rand behind you, you've got an HP behind you or an Adjutant behind you, doors open. You know, doors open clearly. Uh, but if you're long enough uh, in the market, um, doors also begin to open because of who you are and what you are and how authentic you are and how genuine you are. Uh, so, so there is there is what I call as a as a as a hard brand of an organization, and then there's an authentic brand of an individual. And I think you you got to nurture both. Um, an organization does not die a death very quickly. Uh, It moves on till such time, something uh, which has been inappropriately done by a large management team or whatever it is. And then, you know, uh, you get a brand impact and then, you know, you rebuild the brand or at least the brand doesn't die. With an individual, it's like binary, right? All the work what you put in all your career... Uh, you can kill it in a day. You can kill it in a day by by actually sacrificing fundamental human values. Uh, And these could be any. These could be how you treat people, your integrity, your uh, respect for people, your genuineness about care for people. And you could you could kill your brand very, very quickly. And I think this is very important for anyone who is starting a career, who is starting uh, the journey in his life, as either as, a, as working somewhere in an organization or as an entrepreneur, that whatever happens, the values which are core to human existence of fairness, love, respect, integrity, are some things which are basic. They should be non-negotiable. Because if you negotiate those, at some point in your life, they will catch up with you. Mm. And I think if those are non-negotiable, whether you are in an organization, not in an organization, and you've kind of worked your way up, these values then help you to continue making those inroads because of the contacts, because of the relationships you've actually built through your career. So to your question, uh, you know, how difficult or how easy it was to move from a corporate world to an entrepreneurial world. Uh, and I think if you've worked in a market for many, many years, you are, uh, you have kind of built that brand for yourself. Then I think people would still respect you and allow you to come in and talk to you at, at multiple levels. Mm. But if you built a brand for yourself, which you have, uh, which are known in the market for, uh, you know, uh, for behaviors which are not conducive as a human, uh, then I don't know, you know, whether one can actually be uh, very successful. And to me, uh, I think being successful is not so much of saying that, you know, uh, uh, it's it's only money that will actually drive my, my coordinates on success. I think it's more than that. It's kind of how people treat you, how people value you, how people trust you when you're telling them that you'll do something, they know for sure that you'll actually get it delivered. When you say something that you will do, do for, for uh, a certain delivery, they know that what you say is what you will deliver. And I think these are values which are very important, uh, whether you're an entrepreneur or in the corporate world, and you've got a brand for yourself, you don't dilute them. You just continue with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that, that's that been, uh, again, I, I consider this to be more fortunate uh, that my customers or people whom I've worked with, I have a great relationship with them uh, in this market. So it's it's uh, both in India and globally. So you know, I'm very happy about that.
0: Thank you, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, great.
0: I'm your host Tony Cook, and I'm on a mission to provide inspiration and insight for people changing their world. So check out changehackers.org to read show notes, guest blogs, and subscribe to access bonus content. Remember. This show's for you and Change Hackers like you. So drop me a line, tell me what you love, what you hate, or ideas you have for improving the show. And let me know if you know someone who'd make a great guest on this show. Maybe a friend, someone you work with, maybe even you. Just use the contact form at changehackers.org. I'd love to hear from you. Till next time, Change Hackers.